Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With me on the phone, the man they call TC. Put your big boy pants on, Terry Cosgrove. Welcome back to the show, Terry. Thank you very much, Ben. I thought maybe you'd cancel the show so you could watch President Trump behind the podium today for his uh, debut performance. Uh, uh, I, I, oh, he's returning to uh, COVID updates? <laughs> yeah, what a today co- is the everyone's on the edge of their seat. Yeah, waiting for his advice on uh, how he can tackle this thing. So. Uh, the last person in the world I would listen to for advice on anything, but in particular on COVID-19, would be one Donald right. John Trump. Uh, we'll probably be talking about that tomorrow. Great. By the way, is Dr. Fauci with him? Did he bring Dr. Fauci with him? No, he no, he's, gonna be, he's doing it all alone. No one else, just him. Yeah, all right. they're just getting all, right. all Trump. Yeah, and it was interesting. Um, he, His press secretary just said he has tested multiple times a day. COVID, so people are wondering what that means. But at any rate, we're wasting precious time on him. Yeah, we are wasting time. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump, when he hears his COVID test, he starts studying. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, bad joke. All right. Um, so, uh, Terry Cosgrove, as I said, President and CEO, Personal PAC, which is Reproductive Rights uh, PAC, uh, the largest and most significant in the state of Illinois, uh, I would say. Uh, there are two reproductive rights issues that the Supreme Court just dealt with. I want to talk about both of them. Uh, with Terry, uh, the one June Medical Services versus Russo, Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania. You probably know the the latter one having to do with uh, birth control and Obamacare. Uh, that did not go well for people who believe in reproductive rights. We'll get to that. We'll start with the um, the first ruling. I think it came out first. It was five to four, and a lot of uh, liberal. Let me just say this, Terry. You're not agree. This is me speaking, not you. But many of my beloved liberals are so naive, and they think, this is me talking, Terry Cosgrove, so feel free to vigorously disagree with me. But they think, oh, my God, it's five to four. John Roberts ruled with the liberal wing. That means Roberts has changed. All is well in the world. Then they want me to support fair maps or something like that. And I'm always trying to tell liberals, you guys are naive. You're like living in a land surrounded by wolves, and they attack. Okay. They love I know. John well, Roberts, my friend John Roberts. All right, Terry, break it down. It was five to four. Explain some of the issues at play in this ruling. Well, first of all, um, I let me start out by saying I was being my head against the wall um, most of the day with the reactions that people were having to it, similar to what you just described, because um, he voted it for the Texas. Uh, uh, restriction, which was mirrored almost exactly the Louisiana, and he just did it on a technicality. This was a, this was a total technicality. John Roberts has not changed his position at all. He is still um, anti-choice. He has repeatedly said that he would be in favor of overruling the um, the the. A 1992 decision that upheld Roe, and uh, I mean that, yeah, that 
specifically limited it but upheld it, and he said he's in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade. So where people are getting all this excitement about uh, about what that case was about. Now, I do want to say it was good news in the sense that for a very brief time, women in approximately 15 states that would have been subject to this uh, were were given a reprieve, but it does not in any way indicate what uh, the court will do in the future. In fact, given the way the opinion was written and everything about it, it certainly gave the right-wingers in the anti-choice movement a roadmap as to what John Roberts and the anti-choice people on the court would accept in the future. And currently, I believe there's about six cases pending uh, in the judicial pipeline that will make their way to the court, or or some of them are already on the docket for next term, will give them every opportunity to um, overturn Roe. So like you, Ben, I did not understand the excitement at all because um, there was really very little little reason for it, other than that um, for the very short term, um, it gave some. It gave uh, a lot of women in these states where this uh, law could have applied uh, to uh, to get a little reprieve, and that was it. Uh, in past shows, Terry, you've pointed out that uh, these so-called trap laws or targeted uh, regulation on abortion provider laws are sort of a backdoor way to undercut Roe by putting so many restrictions on abortion providers that effectively you put them out of business. So I think the one in right. Louisiana, the specific, specific one, had to say that uh, uh, the uh, providers had to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals. I think that's what it was. And uh, Right, it so- was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a total, I I mean, it it was a total take place, uh, ambulatory um, medical procedures that take place where doctors don't have to have admitting privileges at a hospital, which are much more dangerous than, than dangerous. And I put that in quotes because um, there are so few complications with abortion. And it was, um, it was, only meant to harass doctors and to harass women and to literally break down and destroy the number of of medical facilities that would be available uh, to do abortion care. And as I pointed out before on your show, I mean, one of the most hypocritical versions of this bill was what uh, Ohio tried to pass, which said that no doctor could perform an abortion in the state of Ohio if they didn't have admitting privileges at a hospital. And then in the same bill, there was a there was a clause that said um, no hospital in the state of Ohio could could grant admitting privileges to any doctor who does abortions. So where does that get? So this, I'm, yeah, they thought they were being slick, Terry. Right, exactly, exactly. So, um, so you're right. There's no reason to uh, to read anything into this decision other than uh, other than it's a it's a short reprieve uh, for uh, for reproductive rights. Uh, and you know, let's not forget that close to ninety percent of the counties in the country don't even have an abortion provider. So um, the and you know this whole discussion about Roe v. Wade and when is it really going to be overturned and and um, all of that is really irrelevant because for the last twenty years Roe v. Wade has been in the rearview mirror of young women, of low-income women, and rural women who don't have access. 
and they haven't had access because of the restrictions that have been put into place over the last uh, three or four decades uh, since Roe. So, so we're we're just like narrowing the funnel on uh, how many women actually have access to uh, to abortion care. It's already happening. We don't need Roe v. Wade to be explicitly overturned. The denial uh, of the right of access to legal abortion has already happened to millions of American women as we speak right now. All right. And, without uh, any more action by the U.S. Supreme Court or state legislators. And uh, Terry alluded to this, uh, the Texas law, which is very similar to the one in Louisiana. And I believe it was in 2016 that the Supreme Court voted five to three uh, to overturn the Texas law. Now, the reason was five to three. There was a vacancy on the Supreme Court at the time. And I'm going somewhere with all this, Terry. Uh, No, it was a four four. It was a four four. And that's why it was struck down, because Scalia would have been the fifth vote. Uh, I believe it was five to three, but whatever. Uh, oh, okay, and- okay. Listen, I'm not going to argue with the champ here. You're the yeah. okay. <laughs> Wait, you're the champ <laughs> on, on this stuff. I believe it was five to three. We can make one of our famous bets. Uh, but uh, okay. The point is that I was making was that Scalia was not on the bench at the time. And um, as a result, uh, but he's since been replaced, of course. Uh, and right. he was a place by uh, Gorsuch, uh, who has shown, at least on the matter of reproductive rights, that he's no uh, champion of women. Would you agree with me right. on that point, Terry? Yeah, uh, so absolutely. It, so it just points out the significance of the move made by Mitch McConnell back in 2016 to prevent uh, President Obama for naming Merrick Garland to the court. Just one more uh, right. uh, ramification of that decision and how important these Supreme Court rulings, uh, these Supreme Court uh, vacancies are. All right. So uh, now we move on to the Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania, which most people know as the birth control uh, case. Uh, give us a, a little background on that one, T. Right. That This was about um, a group of nuns who sued to to say that even though they were given the option of of opting out of the of the birth control mandate uh, in the ACA, they still went ahead and sued and said it was too burdensome because they had to actually fill out um, a one page form and put their signature on it, saying that they were opting out. So they went ahead and sued and said that it was an uh, it was it, it was an attack on their religious beliefs and it was an undue burden, even though there was no obligation that they had to provide uh, the birth control. Um, and they won. The court sided with them. And uh, and really, the result of this case was that the uh, the the wall, the separation between church church and state uh, was bulldozed by this decision and on future decisions because the right wing has built over the last decade its attacks on all kinds of rights is, is built around this whole notion of religious refusal. And now it's religious and moral refusal, which means that Anyone that has a moral or, or, and I'm putting this in quotes, you can see my fingers doing the air quotes, but uh, moral or religious re- objections to someone's sexuality, to their race, to their religion, to um, the fact that they use birth control, that they want birth control covered in their insurance, obviously to abortion, then that excuse 
can be used to override um, basically any of the rights that, that exist under civil rights laws or any other common sense laws uh, in the country. And we're just this is the this is the new um, front in the acts of the right wing and our rights. And so um, even the cases that came down um, earlier in the session around um, around LGBTQ rights, all of those can be overridden with uh, by this religious refusal clause that is gaining more and more popularity, not only among the right wing, but also it is um, new justices to the court, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, uh, Roberts, that, well, Roberts isn't new, um, have bring to bring to the court and basically say that uh, anyone can use a religious refusal or a moral objection. Yeah, this is it, it is, a it is dangerous. Trend. We saw, yeah, uh, we saw it with the uh, the uh, the case of the baker who did not want to provide a wedding cake. Was it for a, a gay couple that was getting married? Same sort of principle. Right. They were arguing that their religion uh, prevented them from baking a cake for a gay couple, which is absolutely absurd in my uh, humble opinion. Uh, and uh, right. yeah, I mean, it, right. it's I uh, it's it's a new and dangerous front. And I was when I was reading the uh, newspaper accounts of this, uh, Terry, I had this thought about Democrats. Follow me on this. Uh, one of my objections, I think I may have registered this to you in the past, is that Democrats are always trying to be so conciliatory with Republicans on, on matters, particularly of reproductive rights. And uh, I remember the Hyde Amendment, which was in the 70s, when Democrats agreed, they signed on to not using public dollars uh, for abortions. They were bowing to uh, Henry Hyde. And uh, that has come back to haunt women, I think, um, throughout the country, the Hyde Amendment. Uh, in a similar way, the original uh, Obamacare gave a provision, it had a provision in it that would allow for people who have religious convictions to opt out. The, the, as you point right. out, the little sisters of the poor were saying, well, we don't even want to bother filling out the form. That's too troublesome. Right, right. But just that that opened the door. Do you follow what I'm saying? Putting that language oh, no, in the... Listen, I, you know, Ben, you are touching on, you know, I think it was a, you know, you know, hindsight is very, very valuable, but um, I really feel that, uh, that it was a huge strategic error to uh, to give the anti-jokesters um, any quarter whatsoever, and that has come back to haunt us over the 40 years, and that's why at personal path, you know, my motto is uh, pro-choice, no exceptions, and no excuses either, because the, the mistaken rationale that goes into this is there is some restriction that you can give the right-wingers short of making all abortions illegal under all circumstances for all time and for all women, that there's something short of that that they will accept and say, you know what, that's enough. You know, they said they didn't want their tax dollars to go pay for abortion, so people said, okay, we'll go along with that. And then the minute they did that, they've come back with 50 other, um, 50 other attacks, whether it's parental notice, whether it's um, reading women uh, um anti-choice propaganda before they can get an abortion, whether it's 48-hour waiting periods. It just goes on and on, restrictions on on women who need to have later-term abortions. It, it just goes on and on. There isn't a single thing that 
any elected official can give the anti-choice movement that's going to satisfy them other than making every single abortion illegal in this country and birth control, I might add, uh, for for any and all reasons. And that's where I think that the trap is that, you know, Democrats and the political class in general have, have fallen into. And now we're reaping the, you know, the results of that. And, and I think we're starting to turn that around. Um, I think that uh, that more and more candidates, at least the candidates we're, we're seeing at Personal PAC and that we're helping to elect, that they are they really get that there's, there's no way to, um, in any way, shape, or form, to give the wingers enough. And that it should be a private decision between a woman and her doctor, full stop. There are no exceptions to that. Let women make the decisions about their health. And so I think in this, uh, you know, this new iteration of the pro-choice movement, which I think there is an awakening that's happening and a lot of young people are really involved with it now, uh, they're just, they're not going to, I think in this next chapter, uh, the pro-choice movement is is just going to realize that we just can't settle for, um, that any small attack on reproductive rights really represents an attack on all women. Well, uh, in uh, in relation to this uh, birth control matter, I would bet you the argument made back in 2011, whenever the law was passed, I can't remember at, at the moment, uh, whenever Obamacare was passed, the argument would be made, well, uh, Ben and Terry, this is something we have to live with in order to get the votes we need to pass Obamacare. So it's a minor compromise uh, on the road to a greater victory. I, I don't know whose votes were won over by well, this yeah, compromise. Re- no, and <laughs> yeah. you bring up a really good point because during the ACA, there were 13 anti-choice Democrats, of which one of them was uh, was our soon-to-be former congressperson, uh, Lipinski. Uh, shout out to Marie Newman right here. And these 13 Democrats withheld their vote for the ACA unless abortion was removed as a covered um, as, as a covered medical procedure and this religious refusal piece was put into the ACA and then you know what the 13 of them did they voted no on the ACA after the Democrats after the Democrats bent over backwards to give them everything they wanted uh, that was an attack on reproductive rights and I and, you know I'm gonna the people I got into arguments with will remain nameless because they're really good people that went along with this. And now what do we find now? What the end result of that is uh, the birth control mandate in Obamacare has been decimated and uh, and that there's no abortion care, no federal doubt. The Hyde Amendment was enshrined in the ACA. Yeah. And, and, and just let's and, think about how. Go ahead. Finish your thought. And I just want to say, you know, I, you know, I understood on one level, I didn't approve of it, but I understood on one level how the Democrats desire to give millions of uninsured uh, people who desperately needed health care coverage, the coverage they deserved and they needed. I understood that. It just said it was tragic that in order to do that, like women needed to be thrown under the bus. And that was the really horrible part of it. Is it was like uh, it was a horrible uh, Sophie's choice, if you will. And yeah. then to have wow. it turn out uh, to blow up in their face, it just adds insult to injury. But at least, at least, 
Lipinski isn't around anymore. <laughs> yeah. What about, uh, and and then it didn't win any Republican votes. And from no, the moment, not a single one. No. Yeah. No. And that from was the, the moment Obamacare was passed, the Republicans have been fighting to destroy it, uh, and so. You made a compromise that you didn't have to make. With you didn't win one vote of support. This is classic centrist Democrat thought, and you end up in this situation uh, where you open the door for the Supreme Court to undercut uh, this very important provision. And and Terry, let me. I was while you were talking, I thought of this about these two rulings. When you think about them in conjunction, uh, the the first ruling it has to do with limiting. Uh, the access women have to abortion on the grounds right. that this is people vehemently oppose abortion. All right, you vehemently oppose abortion. So that means uh, you might think you might want to promote a little uh, birth control so that women wouldn't have to face the quandary. But no, <laughs> the Supreme Court is now undercutting uh, women's ability to get access to birth control. What if I didn't know any better? I just think this was just like a. They just want women. They just want to punish women for being women. Oh, that's exactly that's exactly it. I mean, there. In fact, it's been. I'm writing a piece right now. I don't know when I'll be done with it. Um, titled the quote pro-life unquote movement has been killing people for decades because it's people, you know, it's been so frustrating to talk to elected officials and beg them to listen to the scientists, the healthcare professionals, and and people who who construct sound public policy to talk to them about the very issue that you're speaking of. And we can add in their comprehensive sexuality education as well as access to birth control dramatically reduces not only uh, the need for and the number of abortions in this country. And I'm not in, in saying that I don't mean it any way. Abortion is a healthcare decision end of end of statement. So I mean to say that reducing it is a bad or a good thing. I'm just saying if, if that's your motive, if that's your motive and, um, and the less healthcare that people need, the better for prevention. Uh, but they, um, they have refused, and we we have elected officials who have gone along with this insanity that you just brought up. And now I really think it's coming home to haunt us because now these same governors that claim to be, quote-unquote, pro-life are now in charge of their COVID policies in their states. And what are they doing? They're turning around and they're doing stuff that is directly leading to the death of tens of thousands of people. I think we're up to 140,000 Americans mm-hmm. are dead because there is a movement called the right-wing, anti-choice, anti-science movement in this country um, that refuses to acknowledge sound public policy and science. And yeah, what you no. just brought up about the birth control is, not I mean, the, the whole idea of, we know just another example of it that mm-hmm. is so maddening is that we know that condom use drastically reduces HIV transmission. We know it in in countries all over the world, and we know it in the United States. And the anti-choice movement is against, as is the Catholic Church, I have to throw that in there, is against the is against condom use. And here, HIV kills so many people all over the world, and luckily there's been uh, therapies. 
uh, to deal with that. But that's just another example where um, public health or public health officials and scientists haven't been listened to about what do we do to promote public health, which fits into the whole birth control situation that you've been talking about. No, I I, uh, I don't know if I raised this the last time we were in the show. I've, I've mentioned this more than once. The bizarre attitude uh, that the Republicans have toward the sanctity of life, uh, they're oppo- vehemently opposed to any abortion. Uh, but then when it comes to uh, wearing a mask and COVID, they're like, well, Ben, it's just old people dying anyway. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? what? No, what? no, it's it's an infringement on their constitutional personal rights to be asked and to wear a mask, but it's not an impingement on a woman's constitutional rights to control her reproductive health care. That's, yeah. that's the part that gets me, you know, that yeah. that a mask is such a horrible personal intrusion, uh, but uh, denying a woman access to reproductive health care somehow isn't at all, you know. Or... I mean, let's just tie it in completely with the whole notion of cancel culture, where uh, right-wingers, Republicans, MAGA hat wearers get really upset when uh, lefties or liberals uh, try to oppose someone that they think is uh, is raising racist or homophobic uh, remarks. They said, you got you to stop being a snowflake, all right, and just accept whatever they say. And then they turn right around and go, well, I got to be against uh, uh, giving uh, birth control, making birth control as part of this uh, health care plan because it hurts my feelings. My feelings as <laughs> my religious feelings have been hurt. Wait, how come I have to man it up when you hurt my feelings and violate my deeply felt beliefs? But when your deeply felt beliefs are, you need a Supreme Court ruling. You go to the, you run to the, talk about snowflakes. You guys run to the Supreme I know. Court. Help me. Right? Am I right, Terry? No, no, absolutely. No, no. It, Don't get it, me started uh, it, on the right. It, but, Oh, I listen. We could spend a, we could spend ten shows on that, but um, no. <laughs> so, but I think the, you know, I think let, let me do, let, let me do the segue here. So, the um, the really important thing, since we're talking about the right wing, is that they are very very disciplined in going out and voting for their candidates, and it's really if if your listeners are listening to this and and um, are nearly as outraged as you and I are about this, then it's really incumbent upon people to take this election very, very seriously and make sure that uh, everyone that we know um, goes out and votes and and does their civic duty to change things around because uh, that's what we have to do. That's really what's facing us right now. All right, we'll get to the election, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump and the Senate majority. That The whole fight for the battle of the Senate is uh, something that we should talk about as well. But before we do that, uh, what's any uh, updates that people need to know about uh, reproductive rights bills right here in the state of Illinois? Sure. Um, two things are going on. Uh, the first is um, there are 27 um, anti-choice uh, bills pending in the Illinois General Assembly right now is we're on the radio program, and um, I won't go into – it's just all the worst stuff that you can imagine is, is in these 27 bills. 
Um, they, there's a document on the Personal Pack website, personalpack.org, that people can go to and, uh, and take a look at what these bills are. Um, so that's on the, the, uh, the bad side. On the, on the other bad side is that we have a parental notice of abortion bill in Illinois, which puts the health and lives of young women at risk who are forced to tell uh, abusing uh, relatives as well as a whole bunch of other um, horrible things about this bill. About the, It's a law, but we have a bill to repeal the parental notice of abortion law. So it's really important that everyone listening pick up their phone uh, or send an email to their state representative and state senator and ask them to vote yes on the repeal of parental notice or just say <clears throat> we're opposed to, you know, to parental notice. Please support the bill to repeal it. So those are the two things that I can offer that's going on uh, in Springfield around that issue. All right, very good. There's always a fight going on in Springfield uh, on this. Now let's move on to national politics. You already alluded to this. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump, uh, the implications for reproductive rights. Talk a little bit about it, Terry. Well, I think that I mean, number one thing is the Supreme Court. I mean, we're we are looking, you know, we're looking at the precipice now with uh, with you know the makeup of the current makeup of the court, and let's not forget that. Um, other than Clarence Thomas, I haven't looked up the age of all the justices, but the uh, the right wingers, of course, are the ones that are the youngest, and the liberal um, progressives are the ones who are on the older side. Uh, one in particular, I think everyone knows who that is. And if Trump wins re-election, uh, we're basically looking at him possibly getting uh, one. If I mean one, if not two or three um, more appointments to the court. And then if, if people think things are bad now, uh, I can't even imagine what they'll be like then. So so that's number one. And again, going back to uh, the right-wingers, they are very, very disciplined about not caring about uh, Donald Trump, the person, and how hideous he is on so many levels. I don't have to list them, list them all. I think we all know. But they're, they're willing to put all that aside and vote for him and other right-wingers because they understand that what's at stake is appointments to the Supreme Court as well as U.S. Senate races and uh, and all the other policy issues that go along, go along with it. So, you know, Ben, I have boiled this Trump-Biden uh, thing down to a very simple equation here. Um, it really doesn't matter how strongly we feel or don't feel about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Uh, to be clear, I'm a huge supporter of Biden. I think he's a good president. But that really doesn't matter to most, to all of us listening here. What we really need to think about is that when we find out, I normally I would say when we wake up on November 4th, um, we may not know the outcome of the election by then. I hope that we will. But no matter what the issue is that people care about, whether it's uh, whether it's issues concerning organized labor, whether it's climate change, whether it's reproductive rights, civil rights, LGBTQ rights, uh, uh, environmental justice, uh, racial injustice, the real question is which of these two men are going to be easier to deal with when it comes to the agenda that we progressives care about? And there is no doubt in my mind, and there shouldn't be in anyone's mind, that that's Joe Biden. 
I just think it's that simple that we don't have to get into any arguments, really. We know how bad Donald Trump is. Uh, we know what Joe Biden's history has been and what his proposals are. But in the end, it's really about which one of these people is going to help us uh, into the next decade. So that's it. Yeah. I, and I just want to know. let everybody know uh, that on this Friday, I'll be having a longer discussion with uh, David Ferris, regular on the show, and we'll go taking the deep dive on uh, who's ahead, who's behind, right? uh, and all the strategies uh, in uh, Trump-Biden. So I want to promote that show that's coming up. Uh, and uh, in addition, uh, Terry, there's a very important uh, battle for the control of the Senate. And this is something I haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but I will start talking about it more. Because in some ways, uh, well, I would say that Biden Trump's the most important, no question about it. Uh, but if Mitch McConnell maintains control of the Senate, he can cause a lot of damage, uh, even if Joe Biden is elected as our president. And as we saw what Mitch McConnell did uh, to uh, Barack Obama in those last couple of years of, of Obama's uh, term. So, yeah, talk a little bit about the fight for the Senate and how important that is. Right. Well, it's really important because um, you know, I'll just give you one example. Um, if we really want to get rid of voter suppression, there could be a federal law that could pass the United States Congress that would require that um, the lot that we're that would get rid of a lot of the voter suppression tactics that are now taking place. Um, and we're not going to be able to do that with Mitch McConnell as Senate president. I mean, I don't think there's any. Uh, what well, they call it majority leader, don't they? Senate majority leader. Yeah, they call it Senate president in Illinois. So with with him there, I mean, he he has bragged that he has filled 200 federal um, vacancies. He has filled every single federal vacancy um, in the court in a, in a shorter time than most presidents with two terms to um, have had to do. So that that's just like the that was his number one goal. He accomplished that. He has held up, as, you know, the Voting Rights Act, everything that we can imagine that would be good for uh, for this country. He has held, he has single-handedly held it up in the Senate. And I have to say, with the help of all of his Republican colleagues. So it's not just at his uh, doorstep. It's everyone else that goes along with him, but he is the majority leader. So fortunately in Illinois, we do not have, um, you know, we're not trying to defeat one of his uh one of his senators are trying to hang on to one, which is Dick Durbin. But there's four. Uh, the Democrats need to flip four seats, um, assuming that Jones in Alabama loses, which I'm not so sure. That's a, you know that's a bet that the Republicans have already won. So, but four Senate seats are need to are uh, need to be flipped, and there's probably seven to nine of them now that that are potential. Some are longer shots than others. But getting rid of Mitch McConnell has, is priority number two and behind uh, electing Biden, because if he's there to hold up um, the agenda and everything that needs to happen, then we're in big trouble. You know, it's not it's not. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is he can hold up uh, Biden's Supreme Court appointments for as long as he wants. Look what he got away with with Merrick Garland. Yeah. And, so it's really uh, it's, like, it's very very important, and I am heartened that uh, that the Senate Democratic uh, 
candidates are raising so much money and have really good candidates. I mean, there's a bunch of really great candidates out there. I mean, uh, Hickenlooper in Colorado has been at, on choice. He, I mean, in, in every other way, he has been really a hero of the pro-choice community. Speaking of birth control, he made the birth control um, of a woman's choice available at no cost for five years. And guess what happened? The abortion rate in the teenage pregnancy was reduced by 50% in half, 50%. And then, of course, you've got... Uh, Susan Collins, who, you know, I've been, since the day she voted for Kavanaugh, I've been contributing on a monthly basis to her defeat. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that will be, uh, that's another one. And then there, and then there's Georgia and there's North Carolina and there's Montana. And of course there's Mark Kelly in Arizona. And, uh, so there's a lot of great opportunities to do it. And, uh, and we need to keep at it. You know, i Ben, I want to throw in one other thing since we're talking about elections. I mean, we people don't need to get in their cars and drive to Wisconsin or Michigan anymore to go door to door. I am amazed online how many um, volunteer opportunities that are available to all of us sitting in our homes. There's postcard. Um, there's organizations that are having people send personal postcards to the swing states. There's phone calls you can make to people in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Florida. There are so many ways. So anyone that is feeling, if you're feeling anxious about the election, don't be anxious. Go online, find one of these things to volunteer for and commit at an hour or two a day uh, to contacting voters in other states. Now, you can also do a lot in Illinois. Uh, I have 11 um, anti-choice House Republicans we're trying to defeat on November 3rd here in the Illinois House and as well as uh, some in the Senate. So there is an unlimited amount of volunteer work that people can do sitting in their home. We, again, you don't have to get on a bus and, you know, and spend a day going to Wisconsin to knock on doors in Green Bay People can do it sitting from their home in front of their computer or on their phone. And um, and Ben, do you have any of I, you know, I was thinking about this before the call. I mean, do you have any of these organizations and these efforts up on your uh, website at all? Because I was going to say, people, I can't rattle them off right now, but if people had a source of where they could go to to do that. Uh, no, that we possible? don't, but we'll, uh, uh, yeah, it is very possible. And, and as I was saying earlier, we're going to be, t well, no, uh, we're talking with you about the local elections as we get closer to, uh, right. November. Right. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to have plenty of conversations on the show about the Senate races. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, experts that we bring on that talk about the Meredith Shiner's going to be coming back. We're going to be talking about some of these going state by state. I mean, Colorado, Maine, Arizona, doing this on top of my head, Georgia, Montana, Kentucky, Iowa, Michigan, Alabama. I mean, these are all huge uh, showdowns. And it's not like it's not just um, defeating a Republican incumbent uh, like defeating uh, Ernst in Iowa, for instance, or Collins in Maine. It's holding on to a Democratic seat like Doug Jones. That's I don't that's going to be a tough one in Alabama, you know, uh, and but. It would be quite a, a victory. And, of course, the, the I would, big one. We're going to do it in the name of John Lewis. We're going to do it in the name of John Lewis, Alabama native. native so. Wow. All right. I'll, I'll buy into that one. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'll buy into that one. So, yeah, so the, we'll, be, we'll be talking this. Uh, Terry, before I let you go. Put on your big boy pants, Ben. 
put big boy pants. Come on. That's correct. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Mueller. Uh, what, uh, are you gonna? Your personal pack is having a big party fundraiser coming up. Do I have? Yes, that we are. You know, yeah, we have our twenty seventh uh, annual luncheon uh, coming up on October twenty first, and of course, like almost every other big event, and more than five people, it has to be virtual. And I could not be more excited about this year's uh, about this year's lineup, and it's still growing. And I'm not at liberty to talk about a few other people that might come on board. But as of today, um, we have um, Jane Fonda, Kim Fox, Cecile Richards uh, giving awards to um, none other than Heather Booth, who was the founder of the Jane Collective, which was um, the Organ- underground organization of women who um, helped women prior to Roe v. Wake at safe abortions. And so Jane Fonda is presenting Heather Booth with that award, and there's going to be a Q&A with it. And then uh, Kim Fox is presenting your friend and my friend. Uh, oh, and the Heather is getting the Irving B. Harris Spirit of Choice Award that Jane's going to give her. And then Kim Fox is giving our friend, the woman we both idolize, uh, Toy Hutchinson, uh, the Pro-Choice <laughs> Leadership Award. And uh, and then um, I'm not at liberty to talk about anyone else today, but I will keep you up to date with some other big names that we're going to have involved with this event. So yeah. I think it's going to be the event of the fall that people are not going to want to miss. It's going to be informative. It's going to be fun. And uh and uh, we're hopefully going to knock it out of the park and raise the money that we need to defeat all these right-wingers. You know, we have a record number of right-wingers that are running in the state of Illinois. Um, if people uh, in this election on November 3rd, if people go to the website and see these 27 bills that are up there, these anti-choice bills, you will understand why it's so important that, uh, that we have the resources to do our job. And win uh, let yet me just again. say one thing. Uh, and uh, let me say one thing about Toy Hutchinson since you uh, mentioned her. Toy Hutchinson used to be a state senator from the southern southern suburbs. Come on the show all the time. She uh, was one of the great forces. Uh, would she come on the show, man? She was uh, one of my favorite guests. Yeah, well, Toy is wonderful. She was a state senator and um, helped us pass both HB 40 and the Reproductive Health Act. But I think what Ben was getting to is that she really led the fight for legalization of adult use of cannabis uh, in the state of Illinois. She is now the uh, uh, special advisor to the governor on implementing the uh, cannabis legislation. And I have to say, Illinois is leading the country in terms of its uh, criminal justice reform uh, in our cannabis legislation. So we're... We'll be honoring Toy for her reproductive rights work, but uh, I know a lot of other people think the world of her because of the criminal justice uh, work that she's been able to get done in cooperation with Kim Fox and and Governor Pritzker and so many other people in state government, and we shouldn't count that out at all. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. 
They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.